Hello and welcome into the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. After a little holiday break, Kevin Flaherty and I are back to discuss the guaranteed rate bowl. We'll talk about the bowl game, the experience for the KU players, and maybe touch on a couple things with the KU offseason. But Kevin, I think we're in offseason mode now, so we've got to ration what we're talking about here with Kansas football. So today let's talk a lot about the bowl game what we saw on the field, what it means for KU next year. We can hit a lot of the portal stuff, whether it be incomings, outgoings. Next week, as we are recording this on Tuesday, January 2nd, it's about 10.30 a.m. Spencer Lovell has just gone in the portal, but again, we'll talk about this stuff later because the portal does technically close today, but there's kind of a 48-hour window where things can still be in in the works of the paperwork being processed and all that. So we're going to wait till Sunday to hit on the portal stuff, but Kevin, holiday season i was able to go to california and get some warm weather how's your holiday season yeah um quick uh, we uh, yeah. we usually go down to to see uh my wife's family in oklahoma uh because mm-hmm. of some work things for her like we uh we wound up driving down the day of christmas eve and driving back christmas later that day so that was a, uh, a day with a lot of driving and then got to, to see my family Christmas Day and, and all that stuff up here in Kansas City. Uh, I have to ask, just about every Kansas person that I talked to who was going to Phoenix had a golf outing. Did you get any golf in when you went to the Guaranteed Ray Bowl? No, and I'm bummed because of it. You know, Kevin, <laughs> this is kind of a theme of at least when I was thinking about the bowl game. Like, if it was two days later, if it was like December 28th, like it would yeah. be perfect because it would be enough time to do that for me. I flew in the day of the game. I think yeah. I was on the first flight out of California um, and got there day of the game, covered the game, went back, spent another day or two with family and then um, flew back here. So it was an in and out trip. It was cool to see um, kind of what they did with KU for the bowl game. It was pretty cool. And look, Kevin, I'm, so much of this bowl game looks so much better compared to Memphis of last year, you know, walking on the sideline before the game, you know, chatting with different people, you could just sense that like people were much happier to be at this bowl game instead of the Liberty bowl last year. Obviously there was so much going on outside of the bowl game last year, right? No oh, running sure. water. It was really cold. There were problems with the team hotel for KU and, this year it's so much smoother and I think it's really cool that a lot of these guys who are seniors playing in their last bowl game got to experience like a very good one where they're treated well they've got fun stuff to do Um, it's warm weather and it seemed like the morale I think around just the program generally um, was really excited and really happy about the game and Kevin my morale um, look (laughs) I'm gonna say this sarcastically but I'm bribable you know I got nothing bad to say about the guaranteed rate bowl I'm bribable I got a cool little water bottle. All right. It's got the logo on it. Again, I'm bribable. So I got nothing but great things to say about the guaranteed rate bowl. Um, But I do feel like I need like a lot of these, like some, some flags to throw during this podcast to stop momentum. Got (laughs) to turn off my mic so nobody can hear me and talk about how someone committed a personal foul um, on something that actually didn't happen. Um, yeah, let's start about let's talk about let's get this out of the way, Kevin. All right, all right. How hard was that to watch it on TV? Because I went back and rewatched the game, but I I had the sound off. I like based on everything I saw on social media, it sounded like a disaster of a broadcast. So yeah. I had it muted. 
Like, what'd you think watching it live? Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty rough. I think uh, when you talk to a lot of Kansas fans about broadcasts that they don't enjoy, obviously ESPN Plus comes up a lot. Uh, you know, they hate when when basketball broadcasts get moved to ESPN Plus. Hate when when football broadcasts get moved to ESPN Plus. And and one of the common comments was, "This is worse than an ESPN Plus broadcast." And, and so. I think when you when you look at all the different things, I, I think uh, the commentators struggled a little bit. There were some really strange comments. I didn't know if you if you heard the one where where the um, I think the the color commentator made a comment about Devin Neal, who of course at that point committed to come back to school, um, and he said, "Well, with a with a big bowl game in front of NFL scouts, you know, maybe he winds up going." Devin Neal doesn't need more exposure. And the idea that, you know, a bowl game against UNLV, no matter what Devin Neal did, was going to make some NFL team sit up and notice that didn't already know about him is frankly absurd. But there was yeah. there was a lot there there was a lot of stuff like that where you're just kind of like, I, I don't know what they're seeing here. I, I don't know what they're thinking. Like you said, the the refs, Mike was was a real issue because I think a lot of people didn't know what was, I mean, they saw a flag. You could see the hand motions. You didn't know who it was on. You didn't know, you know, what really was going on. And when it's penalty after penalty after penalty for a team that quite frankly, wasn't very penalized this year. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that you add all of those factors together and, and it wasn't a great viewing experience for, for people who weren't there. Yeah, we're sitting in, in the the press box, which is kind of like in the corner of the end zone behind UNLV. Um, it, like we couldn't hear anything in the stadium either, and yeah. it was just weird to see. A, you know, it seemed every like every play. It was like a basketball game, Kevin. You remember last year with some of the K basketball games where in the second half there'd be you know eighteen fouls called in twenty yeah. minutes. Well, that's what this felt like, where neither team could really get some momentum going. But I will say, like it's a bummer that the officiating was the way that it was. Cause this was a fun game. Like yeah, you you look at the, really fun offenses and yeah, yeah it, it, it should have been a, an absolute blast of a game. And, and obviously, I mean, Kansas fans are going to be happy with the result, but you know, it, it could have been a much more fun experience certainly than it was. Well, remember last year, Kevin, after the, the Liberty Bowl, how everyone's talking about, oh, well, outside of the playoff games, like this was the most exciting game because of the comeback, because of the overtimes. And like this game would have been that if the flags hadn't been thrown and stopped the momentum of the game and really made it such a choppy contest. Because this, in terms of a football game, was really, really exciting. Like you look at what UNLV did on their first drive and the athleticism that they have at some of their skill positions. Obviously I think caves tackling was less than stellar. And that's something that I think is going to have to be resolved going into next year guys being in the right spot, but not being able to tackle. That wasn't great, but I think just an end to end game where both teams had guys making plays, you know, there's interceptions, there's turnovers, there's big throws. Like it has everything that you want in a bowl game. And it's just a bummer that I think some of that gets taken away um, with the way that it was officiated and the lack of communication and all of those things. But I think we got to start by talking about Jason Bean because it's really cool for him that you think back to the bowl game last year 
kind of the scapegoat, right? I think that was a lot of the conversation after the game was about Jason being the throw, overthrowing it, the play call. And for him to be the one that is out here, you know, thrown for 450 yards, basically, you know, six touchdowns. Yes, there are three interceptions, but this was like a perfect way for Jason Bean to to end his college career. And I think it's really cool because it caps a senior season that was really impactful. And yeah. it makes you wonder what what happens if, hey, if, if he's able to play the whole game against, you know, Texas Tech or the whole game against, you know, K-State, because I think he was playing at such a high level at the end of the season. Um, but this is just such a good way for him to cap his KU career. Yeah, you got kind of the whole Jason Bean experience, didn't you? In terms of <laughs> you know, the the big plays, you had the turnovers yeah. in the middle of the game. But I think you, you can almost use the turnovers to show how much he'd grown, right? Because you look mm. at, I think the performance that it is most like from a statistical standpoint would be Oklahoma State, right? Um, in, in terms of throwing for all these yards, throwing for all these touchdowns, having a few, you know, really impactful turnovers against Oklahoma State, he didn't recover. Um, Kansas didn't score what in the final 20 minutes or so of that game, whatever it was, um, and, and winds up losing a game that, quite frankly, Kansas should have won. And you look at this one, uh, Kansas has, you know, keep shooting itself in the foot with penalties. Bean has the turnovers. UNLV comes back. It's 28 to 24 mm. in heading into the fourth quarter uh, with Kansas facing a, a fourth and one. Bean makes the long touchdown pass to Lawrence Arnold, you know, which was huge. And then Bean was terrific the rest of the way. And I'm not sure that he has that positive response to adversity earlier in his career. And I think yeah. that that really shows the growth level. And, and you know, it, it's interesting you talking about the bowl game last year because I, I do think some of that was was at least slightly unfair you know everybody looks at a still totally. photo and they say hey you know you missed this wide open wide receiver what they don't see is from jason bean's point of view there was a defender right in front of him. he couldn't see that guy you know yeah we can yeah. see him but it wasn't an easy throw to make and everybody says oh well he should have run it he should, he should have either run it or put the ball in play because it was the final play. But at the same time, you're coming off the bench cold. You haven't thrown the ball all game. You know, you're all of a sudden in a, you know, a potential, you know, game losing situation because if you make the play, the game continues on. But, you know, to have all of that thrown on, on sort of one guy the way that it was and then for him to respond and say, I can't go out like that. That can't be the end of my college career. Mm -hmm. and come back, even knowing, you know, hey, it's Jalen's job. It's, you know, Jalen Daniels is the quarterback. He's the face of the program. You know, Jalen's going to get all the kudos. He's going to get all the things. But I just, I can't have my career end that way. And then to have it end the way that it did for him, um, it, it's it's Hallmark movie type stuff, to be honest with you. I mean, with with all of that and then the way that he grew throughout the season. And, you know, we've said it on this podcast before, I'll say it again, Jason Bean at the end of the regular season in particular, when you look at Iowa state and Cincinnati, um, that's as good a quarterback play as Kansas has had since Todd Reesing. And, and I mean, Jalen's top moments would be in that category too. I'm not saying, you know, Bean was better or Jalen was better. I'm saying in that moment, yeah. Bean didn't take anything off the table. He didn't put the football at risk. 
he was making big clutch plays with both his legs and his arm and he was doing a lot of really positive things and and so to to have it end the way that it did was was just terrific yeah i think it's so much of it too reflects the senior class yeah. because that's something that lance leipold has talked a lot about over the last three years you know when he got to ku he discussed that there was an oh no here we go again feeling with a lot of the team when they'd get up or be close in a game and then something would go wrong and guys would kind of shut down. And I think this game, Jason Bean, I think reflects so much of what has changed about KU where I think over the course of this season in particular, you saw moments that KU got down in games and they rallied and you saw moments that seemed to be slipping away from KU and they rallied. You can go to the Oklahoma game. I think you can go to Iowa state when Iowa state comes out, they score, they make it close. And all of a sudden KU scores a long touchdown to Lawrence Arnold. Like there are these moments throughout the course of the season that show the mental resiliency that this team had. And I think that moment in that kind of section of the game in the second half, when UNLV started to make their run back into it before KU was able to kind of, you know, comp things down, really get back to what they were doing and have success and be able to see out the rest of the game. I think it just speaks volumes. I think the culture and the way that this team is led by those older guys who have now been through this, and it's going to be on some of those kind of juniors next year to continue that, because I think that's one of the best things you can have in college football is I think the resiliency, you know, I think Kevin, I I don't know if you watched the game last night, but like Texas, Washington, like you saw Texas kind of at the end of the game there when they need the defensive stops, kind of just start dropping their heads. Like, Oh no, like this isn't going to happen for us. Like, you know, that says something about your culture and how you respond to things like that. So for KU, it speaks volumes about, I think the people, right? The, the guys on the team and the, the work that they've done, that they've got the confidence to do it. So I think the way the game plays out is so cool for those seniors because those are the guys that help make this happen. So I think that was definitely an overwhelming positive that is a theme of the game. And I think the theme of kind of these first three years under Lance Leipold. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I would even say, you know, the two games that they lost with Cole Ballard playing quarterback most of the time, Texas Tech, they're behind the eight ball with a, a quarterback who's never really played. They come yeah. back when they tie that game late. Um, and obviously, Tech goes down and gets the winning score. But, I mean, it wasn't hanging their heads. They responded to resiliency and came back. Against Kansas mm-hmm. State, they come back and they have a shot in the end zone to take the lead late. K-State winds up picking it off, obviously, and, and winning that game. But in both of those situations, you know, even though they lost the game, they responded to adversity and, you know, they, they gave themselves a, a chance at the end. I do have to ask as somebody who was there, how apparent was Jason Bean's emotion after the game? I mean, in terms of the way that, that all of it, it ended, you know, with him getting MVP of the, of the bowl game and everything, what was yeah. the emotion like that you got from him? Well, I think of probably elation. <laughs> that was yeah. one of the ones, you know, sure. walking around the field after, you know, I didn't really see what it was like in the immediate, you know, as the UNLV guy tries to take a cheap shot at him. Like, I don't know <laughs> what the hell that was about. Um, but he was, a, <laughs> he was the most popular guy post game. Like Jim Zabrowski came up, said, you know, congratulations. But I mean, you got his own teammates asking for a photo with him and that trophy. I think it speaks to, 
I think Jason and what the teammates and the guys on the team think of him that after a game like that, everyone's coming up to him and wanting to get a photo with him. You've got staffers, you've got players, coaches, like all different people kind of trying to get a little piece of, um, of the final performance of Jason Bean. So I think for him, it was uh, being proud and excited. And even in the post-game press conference, it's still kind of the same level-headed guy that I think you saw whether it be after a loss in the interviews he did or after a win in the interviews he did, it's always kind of even keel and the same kind of um, personality that shines through. So I think that was really cool just to see the comparison. How after, right. You know, last year's bowl game, how the way it ended to see him be kind of the most popular guy post game. I thought that was really neat and really cool to see. I think everyone kind of rally around him and understand that, Hey, this is a really big moment for a guy that, has had his ups and downs in college. And I think that is maybe a conversation we can have on the next podcast. We talk about the portal and the way things are changing, but I think Jason Bean is a great story for what college football should be. You know, yeah. a guy stays at a school, has ups and downs. He isn't always the starter. It isn't always his show, but when it is his time to be the guy, he steps up and he's ready to answer the bell. Like that's cool. And I think that's something that's going to be lost in college football as guys start moving every year. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I think, you know, it, move, moving on from Jason Bean, I, I think mm-hmm. offensively we were all interested to see, hey, what's this thing going to look like with Jim Zabrowski yeah. as, as a play caller? Um, I, I think UNLV lined up the way a lot of teams did against Kansas and basically said we're going to put a bunch of guys in the box. You're not going to run the ball on us effectively, consistently, you know, and we're going to dare you to beat us over the top. And guess what? Kansas beat UNLV over the top and mm-hmm. uh, look at the play of the wide receivers. I think each of the three starters had a, a major highlight catch. When you think of Luke Grimm kind of winning the 50, 50 ball down the field, the catch from Quentin Skinner and obviously LJ Arnold getting the, you got mossed, you know, play. Uh, but maybe the biggest play from the receiving core that, you know, probably doesn't get talked about enough and, and it was one of the biggest plays of the game was the block from douglas a million on devin neal's 16 yard run yeah. on third and 17 because kansas is probably not going to go for that unless they're close and um devin neal abs or uh, devin neal goes to the outside doug a million absolutely buries the defender inside that allows neal to get 16 yards make it a fourth and one and then on fourth and one, you know, Kansas calls a little play action bootleg. And and that's where Arnold breaks totally clear for the touchdown. And yep. if if a million doesn't make that block, Devin Neal gets, you know, six, seven yards, maybe, you know, they're they're probably punting that ball or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and instead it sets them up in a situation. And remember, they were only up 28-24 at that point, where if they're giving the ball back to UNLV, you're kind of like, I'm not feeling great about this right now. Instead, you get the touchdown, you get some breathing room. Mm-hmm. It's one of three touchdown passes from Jason Bean in the fourth quarter, and, and Kansas was kind of off at that point. Totally. And I think wide receiver blocking, Kevin, you, know. you remember some of the Lost Miles teams and how those guys would not block for each other? And it'd be, you know, a running back on the outside, and then all of a sudden, you know, he's running, and then the wide receiver's kind of just jogging down the field, not doing much. Like, you watch the way the KU's wide receivers have been taught to block, right? You think about the job Terrence Samuel has done. And I think just generally the culture of, hey, we're all going to help each other. 
But I think for me, like you want to talk about that, like the screen pass to Lawrence Arnold, yep. like you've got Luke Grimm and Quentin Skinner both going to fight basically to yep. make sure that their guy, Lawrence Arnold can go and score a touchdown and, and get as many yards as possible. Like those are the plays I think speak a lot about the culture. And it's something that Jeff Grimes, who I'll be interested to see what his Twitter game is like. I've seen some Dallas Cowboys <laughs> tweets, but um you know, he tweeted that, hey, I'll read right here, you know, in, in a very short time, I've seen that these dudes, parentheses, for me, the three amigos, if you're old enough to know, love each <laughs> other and play for each other. This type of bond is special. And I agree. I think it's really cool that you've got guys that aren't sulking because they're not getting the 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 targets or the receptions or the yards like they're all out there fighting for each other and hoping and helping the team. So I think that's really cool. And. You're right. Like Douglas a million is going to go down. I don't know what his receiving numbers will be next year, but like in my mind, he'll be the ultimate team player. Cause the way he blocks, like he loves yeah. to block and you see it when every time he's on the field, they run to his side. Like he's engaging with this guy and moving them back. And I think offensively for KU, that's such a positive thing to have that kind of team bond where guys aren't jealous of each other and they want to fight and keep going. So Generally, though, Kevin, I want to ask you this. What did you think about the game plan that KU had and the way that Jim Zabrowski called the game? Because I was I was really impressed. I thought it was a really well-called yeah. game. And I think at times maybe Jason Bean's decision-making wasn't great on two of those interceptions. And I don't think you can control that with your play calling. But I thought it was a pretty well-called game. Yeah, and Kansas wound up being fairly, ba- fairly balanced from a run-pass standpoint in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, the plays that they called, obviously, they're a lot more effective throwing the ball. But when when you looked at it, I, I liked the fact that when they threw the ball, they were throwing with purpose, right? They were shot plays down the field. Uh, they they really gave those receivers a, a chance to make plays. And, and and I think you know when you when you look at how they were able to scheme certain guys open, I liked the run to Quentin Skinner. Um, I like the screen pass to Lawrence Arnold. They did hmm. things to get some of these guys the ball in maybe ways that that we aren't used to seeing them get the ball. And so I, I thought that was I thought that was interesting, obviously, because I think uh, as great as Andy Kotelnicki is, I, I think one of the takeaways with him is the fact that he was so creative. Right? You were always kind of waiting to see. Okay, like. When Andy feels like he's in his bag, what's he going to call now? You know, whether whether it was putting, you know, Armaje Reed Adams in the slot and then having a motion in to run power or, you know, lining up the offensive line a, a certain way or running this sort of trick play with motions and handoffs and things like mm-hmm. that. Is Kansas still going to have that element when he goes? You know, because I think that with a lot of what Kansas does, it's pretty simple. You know, they run wide zone, they run triple option concepts, you know, they, they, the passing concepts that they run aren't super complicated, mm-hmm. but they dress it up in a lot of really creative ways. And I, I think, you know, that's part of what makes this such an effective system. And so I think with Jeff Grimes coming in, you wanted to know, okay, we saw what Jeff Grimes did at Baylor. He may be a little bit different at Kansas, depending on personnel and things like that. I happen to think they'll still have some triple option in there because it's, you know, it's effective with what they do with what Jalen does, et cetera. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you, but with Zabrowski calling plays, one of the things that I wanted to see was the creativity, right? I wanted to see is that still is that still going to be in the room, even if it's not with the primary play caller? And I think that you did see that quite a bit. The other thing, and I think, you know, we may see some Kansas fans, you know, who are watching this raise up their hands and yell out hallelujah. No sugar huddle. (laughs) No sugar huddle. That was great to see. I think it seemed a little more, not as much weird stuff. Yeah. For me, like there wasn't much wildcat. There wasn't as much, um, of just the the funky stuff that I think Kay was doing with yeah. Cold Nike. And look, that stuff has a time and place. And sure. I'd actually argue that that type of stuff fits a bowl game better than it does a regular season game. And yeah. this was actually the time for the weird stuff, right? Have fun in the bowl game. Then maybe, you know, on a big play um, when you're going to have your running back throw the ball, like what the heck? So I, I think that it's funny that, you know, the time when you're thinking, oh, things could get weird because it's a bowl game. It's actually the time when it didn't get weird because I think Jim Zabrowski is maybe a little more, I don't know if pragmatic is the right word, but just not going to do some weird stuff. So I'll be fascinated to see. Obviously, Jeff Grimes was around the team uh, during the yeah. bowl prep process. I saw him there. Um, side note, he's tall. He's big. He's a big guy. Um, total side note just walking by him in the hallway but i'm fascinated to see kind of in spring ball right what ku changes offensively but let's get to defense kevin i think this was a great performance to we talk about jason bean right capping his kansas career with a really good game i thought kenny logan like yeah you have to give kenny logan a lot of credit kevin because i think you and i sat out or at least i did sat here in, in this very chair and on this very podcast and talked about you know, maybe Kenny Logan a little overrated after last season. And yeah. I thought he really, really struggled last year and did not have a good year. And for him to come back and have the season that he had, where I thought across the board, every single game, he was one of KU's top three or four best defensive players. Consistency was there. His level of play, I think, was really stellar. And for him to end the bowl game as the defensive MVP, win a bowl game in his final game with Kansas. You think about all the things he's been through, whether it be the COVID season, the coaching transition, um, a down year last year, deciding to come back to Kansas. Like it's another one of these college football success stories that I just love. And I think it's such a great part of what makes college football so cool that there are guys like this that maybe aren't going to have a huge NFL career ahead of them the ability to have success in college to impact winning and to impact a team turning it around. I think it's really cool that Kenny Logan of all guys was the guy that had this game and got that recognition. I just think it's cool. When you think about um, 2000, um, the, the COVID year, and it seemed like that year, Kenny Logan left every single game getting nicked <laughs> up, right? Like, yeah. you know, he, and it, it actually became, you know, kind of a, a running joke or whatever a little bit because, you know, he he get the wind knocked out of him, hurt his shoulder, whatever, you know, leave for a few plays, and then he was back on the field. And, and he kept coming back out and kept coming back out for a team that went 0-9. And mm. you think about going from – from how frustrating that had to be where, you know, they, they didn't have the pieces in front of him. So he was forced to make, you know, pretty much every other tackle it felt like. Um, And, you know, having to do that in a game where where you're down 35 points, isn't fun. You know, when, Mm -hmm. when the running back breaks through 
again and you have to get him down again and you're down yeah. big and you're not going to win and you're not really playing for anything you know from a victory standpoint that's not easy to do and, and that's not fun for a player to do he sticks around you know one of the one of the moments that i think about um, and i you know I, I can't remember if i put this in my article about um lance leipold's rebuild or whatever uh, in there is Logan and Leipold just embracing after the Texas game. And I, you know, after, after they upset Texas and Austin and to get their second win of the season. And, and if you remember Leipold said what he told Kenny Logan was basically like, okay, like, you know, we have to push you even harder on Monday now. Like, you know, Yes, we we got this win. It's great. Be happy for it. But this yeah. is just the start. You know, you yeah. we need to we need to be more consistent, more deliberate. You know, all of those things. And I think Lance Leipold and the staff kind of poured into Kenny Logan. And you know, he came back. He had you know some All America mention preseason heading into twenty twenty two. You know, certainly All Big Twelve mention. And he had a bad year. He, he really did, you know, and especially compared to what he had been the previous year. And then to come back to rebound, you know, all of the things that he did this year, like he said, to get defensive MVP and end his career the way that he did uh, was was just another great story. And, you know, a heartwarming deal for a guy who had, who had been through so much, you know, at, at Kansas. It's not easy to go through a season where you don't win a single game. And if you remember yeah. that year, Kansas was only close in like one game. So like it, you know, it wasn't even the thing where it was like, man, we're so close. We're going to break through. No. He, he had to buy into Lance Leipold's vision because there was nothing else there. Mm. And so, yep. you know, mm. it, it was, uh, I think that's, that's kind of a, a cool story. I'm glad you brought all that up. Yeah. And I think too, right. There are other guys on defense that have that similar story. Rich sure. Miller really developed, um, you know, I think he's one of the guys that is an important cultural guy on the team. And yep. I think KU will miss that leadership that he brings on the field. I think other guys, you look at someone like Devin Phillips, man, watching him again, I think not, not forgot, but I think it just solidified how much of an underrated addition he was for KU sure. and how solid he was just watching him take on double teams the whole game and be strong and sturdy. Like KU will miss him next year. And you look at someone like Hayden Hatcher, the depth he provided and being a guy that, again, culturally was willing to put in the work and, and showed up every day, really ready to give it his all and really cared about Kansas. Um, there are a lot of these stories. And obviously now Melo Dotson and Kobe Bryant have announced their return. KU gets yep. both of them back. KU will have O.J. Burrows and Marvin Grant expected to return as well. Um, Jalen Dye can take a step forward this offseason. Like the secondary for KU next year is going to be really solid. Um, as long as they can continue to kind of keep it together. So I think that's a huge positive, but as it pertains for the bowl game, like I think it just continues to show that KU needs to get better at linebacker. Like that's kind yep. of the, my big takeaway and KU needs to find a defensive end in the transfer portal who can rush the passer because golly, they could not do that against um, UNLV. And it took some uh, creative stuff with stunts and, and guys being able to uh, get some added pressure in there where it wasn't like during the season when KU kind of line up and 
send Austin Booker and Jeremy Robinson off the edge and get some pressure. They needed to get really creative to do it. Obviously, Austin Booker is going to go to the NFL, you know, as of this Tuesday, at, and now we're now, what, past 11 a.m.? He's not announced anything, but I can tell you he is not going back to Kansas. He is going to go to the NFL draft. It's just a question of whenever he wants to make that announcement himself. So Key's got to find another defensive end in the transfer portal. Obviously, I think you and I are both very high on Deshaun Warner, Dak Brinkley, and what they are going to bring. But it's still freshmen, and you don't want to go into a season saying, man, we really hope these freshmen are ready to play from day one in the Big 12. Like, I don't think you want that. So that's a need. But generally, this defensive performance, I think it, it hones in the fact that next year, KU secondary is going to be awesome. And the athleticism they're going to have at safety with O.J. Burroughs and Marvin Grant is going to be really good. And they've got two cover corners and Mello and Kobe that are going to be at the top of the Big 12. So I think that's an area to get really excited about for the defense and for folks that are on the VIP board and paying attention to our updates there. You know, <laughs> linebacker and defensive line, those are kind of the two big areas that KU has to get reinforcements at because of the NFL and the transfer portal. So what do you think of the defensive performance, I guess, overall, Kevin? Yeah, another guy that I thought really stood out, and you know, I think he does a great job every week, but he does it in in some kind of under unsung roles, if you will. Mm. Uh, Craig Young had some monster yeah. plays in this game, and it was it was great to see him go out that way uh, because I, I think they do ask him to do a lot of really tough stuff where there aren't a whole lot of linebackers in the country that they ask to to, hey, go out and defend the slot receiver and, mm. you know, we're we're not going to give you a ton of help. We trust in your athleticism or whatever else. And, and I think sometimes people watch it and they're like, Craig Young's not really making a ton of tackles. He's not, you know, really pressuring the quarterback that much. He's not making plays in the backfield. You know, he he's not really making an impact. But with what they ask him to do, you know, that's, that's a really tough deal. And for him to, you know, he had the tackle for loss. He wound up with an interception as well. You know, to, to have the big plays that he did were really good. I, I think Jason yeah. Gilliard has a chance to be pretty good at totally. that hawk spot. You know, he obviously rotated through this year, had some good moments. Like you said, linebacker needs to clean stuff up. And, you know, it's it's not even just the, the starting guys necessarily that you project. I think they're going to need a little bit more depth as well um, and depth of athleticism in that group you talked about Devin Phillips and I'm glad you did because I think when people put out their lists at the end of the year and 24-7 sports we've certainly done that of the most impactful uh, transfer guys he's not going to show up right because he's no. not going to tip the scale in terms of numbers or things like that but when you talk about what a guy means to a defense, Kansas' defense was significantly better this year than it was a year ago. And, you know, not not just overall, but you look at um, you look at some of the key stops that they were able to make over the course of the season when Kansas had to have said stops. And, and Devin Phillips was was a big part of that. And, you know, mm -hmm. it, as one-year rentals go, you know, or one-year transfers, you know, I think you know he he made about he made about it as good an impact as he can. I'm interested with that defensive line group now. Like you said, they did not pressure uh, mm. UNLV very well at, at all, and, and so you, you look at 
that was one of the things that I think screamed out at, at me like, Hey, you know, and, and it wasn't even, it wasn't even the the lack of sacks. You know, I think Kobe had the lone sack, right? Um, it wasn't even Good the lack point. of, yeah, yeah. I, it, it wasn't even the lack of sacks so much as the lack of pressure. You know, they weren't making him uncomfortable. They weren't moving him out of the pocket or, or different things like that. I, I think, like you said, you got to go get a pass rusher, you know, preferably somebody who's proven. Um, and, and then you want to develop the guys you have, you know, guys like Dylan Brooks, they have some ability and, and you want them to take that next step and be able to, to have a big season. But mm. when you look at this game in particular and what it says moving forward, Kansas just didn't get pressure in this game. Yep, exactly. So I think overall, you know, this is something that I think KU, you know, here's a good example of it, Kevin. Um, I can't pull it up because we'll, we'll get, you know, copyright stuff on this and, I like our YouTube channel, even if it's not even close to Kobe Bryant's YouTube channel in terms of subscriber numbers, um, <laughs> is you look at the first play from scrimmage for KU defensively and Devin Phillips knocks back the guard and it's a play to the left and it's a, a four yard loss. And JB Brown is right there. Just got to make a tackle. And he totally whiffs, and all of a sudden it's a big gain, and the ball gets rolling for UNLV. Like that is an example, I think, of a the impact guys on the defensive line can have and had this year, and the areas where KU has to get better next year, right? Guys like JB Brown, Cornell Wheeler, Tywan Berryhill have to get better just tackling, and I think that'll be a big point of emphasis, and that's something that this coaching staff I think is really good at. You've seen it over the course of time, right? their first full off season, what was the goal? Hey, let's just get our defense installed. So we're not having busted coverages and we can actually do things. And can we get our offense installed so we can actually run things? Then the next year you saw some improvement, right? Cave's defense was a little bit better. They made some plays, wasn't consistent, but there were some seeds there and the offense blew up because they were able to have stuff happen. Then yeah. last off season, right? It was about physicality. Hey, let's not get pushed around every game. Let's make sure there are some games where we can push the opponent around. What happened? I think KU is a more physical team and what they played 13 games. I'd say probably 10 of those games. KU was a more physical team. You know, yeah. I, I, that's a huge improvement. And so now you look at cool. I think broadly this team is set, right? The team knows what it's doing and physically it's able to compete. So now you can focus on some of those more, tackling is not intricate, but it's very specific and say, okay, guys, like we have to be better at tackling this year for the offense. You could say, Hey, we've got to be able to take on um, blocks a little bit differently on our offensive line, because when teams stack the box, we've kind of struggled to get Devin Neal free. Like there are another steps that you can take. And I think this coaching staff is so detail oriented that they'll be able to find ways to get improvement. So I think for me defensively, like just tackling from the linebackers is going to be such a huge part because the guys have to be in the right spots and then they've got to be able to tackle. That's all you need from yeah. the linebackers. And so I think that's going to be a big point of emphasis this off season. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, it, it's funny when defenses struggle, people tend to point to the defensive coordinator first, right? Like it's, it's always that guy's fault, but all a defensive coordinator can do is put a guy in position. You know, he, he can't make mm -hmm. the play himself. He can, he can put the guy, he can call the blitz that frees up the guy. And if the guy misses the sack, that's not the defensive coordinator's fault. And so <laughs> I, I think, you know, it's funny and I'll, I'll be the first to say this. 
heading into this season, I was a wait and see still on Brian Borland. And, and I thought, Hater. I thought over, over the, over the course of the season, you know, he, he won me over quite a bit. Mm. And I think that even when Kansas had some defensive struggles, um, there were struggles where Kansas was generally in the right position, but didn't make, didn't make a play. Yeah. And I think that's the next big part, right? Getting playmakers. And that's where this high school recruiting comes into play. And we could talk more about roster construction and portal and, and all that next week. Um, but I think just generally you can see the vision with a lot of these guys, like yeah. Jacory Stewart at linebacker, right? Physical, fast, explosive athlete who can catch the ball when the ball's thrown to him. Yeah. Um, that, that's a big thing. You look at the defensive ends Cave's bringing in. You can even look at last year's recruiting class. Guys like Jameel Croft. Well, he was getting reps on special teams. Like for this coaching staff, that is how this progression works. Yeah. You know, you get time on special teams and maybe you get like five to 10 reps on your respective side of the ball. And then maybe you're a part of the rotation a little bit more consistently. And someone like Jamil Croft being a true freshman playing on special teams is a huge deal. Keaton yeah. Quebec played, I think the first two snaps of the bowl game at wide receiver. Like that's huge that he's already getting offensive snaps as a true freshman. So yep. I think you just see this program starting to get kind of that ball rolling. It's a snowball. I think a lot of times in college football where it's about talent acquisition through high school, making sure they're developed in the system so that they know what they're doing when they do take the field. And then they get two to three years of level of play. And maybe that's starting, maybe that's as a rotational piece. But I think Kevin, one guy we have to talk about that we haven't talked about yet is Calvin Clements starting yeah. his first game at left sure. tackle as a true freshman. I think we both talked about it when he committed. We thought, hey, it's going to take some time, right? Developmental guy, you know, playing in Kansas is not like playing in the Dallas area where you're going against five stars every week. And so I wasn't sure how it was going to go for him, but it's, as soon as he got on campus in the, in the spring of last year, he really started to impress. And I think for him to start the bowl game at left tackle as a true freshman, that's huge. What do you think of the way that he played? Yeah, I thought he played well. Um, I thought you could see some rawness. You could see some freshman in him in, in a couple different ways. I, I think um, I think the strength needs to continue to improve. You know, I thought there were a couple times where uh, he made the block, got in position, didn't quite move his guy like you know maybe he will here in, in a year or two with with another off season in the weight room. I, I thought um, some of his past pro sets were were maybe a little bit raw as well um but i say all that and you know you want to know the reason that we didn't talk about him we didn't notice him that much and that's a great thing for an offensive line i mean joe posnanski wrote a column one time about will shields you know the chiefs hall of fame lineman he said the best thing about will shields is you totally forget that he's even on the football field he never gets called for penalties he doesn't you know get beat for big plays you know, mm -hmm. you, you just you forget he's out there. And, and yeah. you know, honestly, what, a quarter into that game, you're not thinking, hey, Calvin Clements is out there as a true freshman left out. He looked like he belonged. Mm -hmm. he, yeah. You weren't noticing him because he was missing a bunch of plays. And so I think, you know, to me, like I said, I mean, yeah, there are things that can to clean up, to improve, whatever. But the biggest thing you can say is we didn't come out of that game saying, man, you know, okay, you had a freshman at left tackle, though. No, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't a storyline. And I think that's about the most positive thing that you could say about him. Yeah, I think you saw all the things that 
if you talk to people around the program that have people excited, it's the natural size, like watching him warm up next to KU's other offensive lineman. He looks different than the other guys KU has. That is a huge part. I think the movement ability for him, you saw at times when he's shuffling and sliding in the pass pro, you can just see the way he moves that it's like, Oh wow. Like this guy is a very fluid athlete at that size. So for him, it's just you know, getting in the weight room, getting bigger and stronger because there were times when he would square a guy up with good technique and just wouldn't be able to drive him in the run game. Yeah. And that's a result of a guy being checks watch this time last year, you know, playing at free state. Like yeah. there's a big difference in the strength and strength doesn't come in one year. Like that is a two, three year thing where developing the strength and the power to be able to dominate guys in the trenches and just for him to be able to hold the zone, like you said, Kevin, and not be somewhere where you're like, Oh my God, Calvin Clements is getting cooked every play. Like they've got to figure something out. They got to send Jared Casey over to his side or Mason Fairchild. Like the other guy that was getting cooked was on the right side, you know? And so I think that's something that for KU is really positive um, in the long term Cause I think if you talk to Calvin, he's like, he's a smart guy, he's cerebral and he's yeah. going to figure it out in terms of the, the mental side and he's going to put in the work. I have no doubt about that. So I think it's really exciting and I'm fascinated to see what the left tackle competition looks like this off season, because you got to say he's a, the favorite to start right now. You know, yeah. I, I don't know if Logan Brown's going to be the guy that that's going to take that job from him. So I think that's a really fascinating storyline for this off season. Who wins the left tackle spot and is Calvin Clements the guy? Cause if so, Kevin, you're talking about a four year starter, right? Yeah. Maybe three, if things go well and maybe he leaves early, but like, that's kind of crazy to think about, you know, that's like yeah. a, a, a Kima Deneji type of deal where he started out a necessity and maybe it would be necessity next year, but like Clements is good enough to play at Kansas at this level. And next year with another full off season, like I think he'd be perfectly fine as a starter. I think did did you say that uh, Kubeka started the game? I don't know if he started, but he played on the first drive, a couple snaps. Okay. The, the reason I asked is, you look at Lance Leipold recruits, like guys that Lance Leipold has actually recruited, not in the transfer portal, but from high school. High school. Guys yeah. who started for Kansas, I think, and I could be wrong on this, I think are Damon Greaves at punter and Calvin Clements at left tackle. Yep. And he's had multiple recruiting classes. So, I mean, that, and that's, that's not a knock on the other guys. I, I think we've talked about how old and experienced Kansas has been for multiple years now. Last year, they led the Big 12 in number of starters coming back. This Which year, look, yeah, yeah. This year, uh, when you look at like Bill Connolly at ESPN, his returning production numbers, mm -hmm. Kansas led the country in returning production. Um, and, and so for the last two years, Kansas has been incredibly old and experienced. Mm -hmm. And those are returning guys. Those aren't even counting the transfers you added in each of those classes. And so there hasn't been a need for Lance Leipold to tap into his high school guys yet um, from a starting standpoint on offense or defense. You know, you've seen Mason Ellis on special teams. You've seen guys like that. Um, and, and like you said, that's part of the process. But for Calvin Clements as a true freshman to get a start at left tackle, I think says quite quite a bit especially when you when you look at 
the rest of the roster and say, okay, like young guys as of this point haven't really needed to step up or, or go into those spots. There hasn't been a, we have to start this guy out of necessity type deal. And Calvin Clements just got to start at left tackle. A huge, a yeah, huge and I think, yeah, right. It's like, if you're going to tab your like most important positions in football, it's quarterback, it's left tackle. And I think it's probably defensive end. And yeah. to have someone so young um, with so much upside starting there is, is exciting for the long term and for the future of Kansas. So Kevin, that's what I got on the bowl game. I think it's a always a fascinating thing now because yeah. it gives you a look ahead next year. And I think it's exciting to look a year from now and, and what KU could accomplish, right? I think health is going to be the biggest part for KU. I've covered it with that Iowa State team that returned a lot of guys, had the expectations to go to the big 12 title game and they got banged up in camp and never really found their form. So like injuries are going to be a big part of the next kind of, you know, whatever we're in, I guess we're in January now. It's so weird to say that yeah. but over the next what eight months, you know, that's going to be a big, big key. And Jalen Daniels is going to be the guy that I think a lot of focus is put on because I think a lot is going to ride on his availability next year. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into, you know, 2024 expectations, all those things, you know, at, at another time. Mm -hmm. But closing the door on 2023 in this bowl game, um, Kansas came in, the number was six, according to Las Vegas. I mean, that was <laughs> the win rule that, that was set for them. And if you remember, we were talking on this podcast about it. Was it DraftKings or somebody said one of the biggest, what, I picked seven wins, so I'm wrong. But yeah, you, you're right. You, 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 the, picked, the you picked seven. I think I picked seven as well. But the the Vegas number was six. And I think it was DraftKings or, or one of those sites said that picking the under for Kansas was one of the most popular bets this year mm -hmm. that they had. Uh, and, and so a lot of people didn't even think Kansas would get to six. And so, you know, I, I look at it as obviously in a vacuum, nine wins, huge success, first bowl win, huge success, all of these different things. I do think there's always going to be a little bit of an element of what if though, uh, because mm -hmm. I, I think if we're sitting here and, and we're being honest, there was a chance that Kansas was the second best team in the big 12 this year in Texas. Um, when you look at the fact that Kansas had a, had a chance to, to win that game at Oklahoma State, led in the fourth quarter, you know, made a lot of mistakes there. The two games that they lose by a total of seven points to Texas Tech and Kansas State, where obviously, you know, you're you're in a rough spot at the quarterback position and, and everything else. Um, it, it it reminds me a little bit um, if Kansas plays Houston in basketball tomorrow, right? And somebody says to you beforehand, Kansas is going to be up eight at halftime. You would take it every single day of the week. Yeah. Now there's multiple ways to get to that point. And if it's a really close game and it's like a three point game and Kansas pushes it up to eight right before half, you're going to the locker room and you know, you're high fiving people and everything else. If you absolutely dominate the half and you're up like 18 and Houston cuts it down to eight and you go into the locker room, it's a very different feeling. Would you take eight yeah. heading in by eight? Absolutely. But there's different feelings for it. And so in a vacuum, huge success this year, obviously, you know, getting to the wins that they did, all of those different things. 
I also think the way the year played out, the fact that they had those chances to, mm-hmm. to maybe sneak into the Big 12 title game, all of those different things, I think there's always going to be a little bit of that, you know, what if or, or man, it could have been even better than, than it was. What do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree. I'd also say I think there are a lot of college football teams that are going to say, yeah, oh, well, if these two moments had gone our way, you know, we'd have sure. two more wins. I think that's kind of the nature of college football when you have a competitive product. K-State could have, right? K-State could have beaten Texas. Like, like K-State lost to Texas yeah. in overtime. And, and so as much as – and the reason I bring that up is, you know, Kansas fans point to that K-State game a lot as, oh, if, if we had Jason Bean, never mind Jason Jalen Daniels, we win that game by double digits or whatever. K-State could turn around and say, well, you know, we could have beaten Texas. You know, and around and around we go. And, and the nice part is, though, Kevin, at the end of the day, the nice part is we can have this conversation at this point sure. of the year, right? We're not recording this podcast, you know, December 2nd, talking about, oh, well, you know, three wins for Kansas. All right. I mean, who are they going to hire as the next head coach? Like, it's it's good to be able to have these conversations that I think a lot of other college football programs can have now, where you're playing competitive football week in and week out. And there are games that are going to happen in the course of a football season that are going to be close and they're going to involve moments that don't go your way. And there are other ones that are going to involve moments that do go your way and you're going to win a close game, you know, as a result. So I think generally like it's a net positive that two years ago, if you would have said, Hey, KU's going to win nine games. You say, Oh my God, like what? Like that's great. That's incredible. And I think it speaks to the place that Lance Leipold, the coaching staff and the players have this program that we can sit here and have this conversation now. Right. And oh, say, yeah. oh, man, well, you know, two two bounces the ball. If Trevor Wilson doesn't fumble it, um, you know, or muff the punt, you know, KU beats K-State. And all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at maybe a 10 win season. It's it's good that KU football is in this place. And you're right. Like there are moments in the season that you say, man, that had gone KU's way. Maybe they are playing in the the Pop-Tarts Bowl, which I'm so pissed off about, Kevin. I'm oh. so pissed. That they didn't go to the Pop Tarts Bowl. That would have been electric, electric. I was going to say that. I was going to say I I saw a uh, a bunch of K State fans on Twitter, you know, talking about the viewership numbers and you oh. know, oh yeah, everybody tuned into our bowl, and I I just wanted no. to be like they tuned in for the Pop Tart, like it, like <laughs> it, it, it wasn't it wasn't even the football part of it. It was the fact that we killed a Pop Tart on live TV. And then you know they wound up they wound up eating it, but 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 it, it's you know back back to your original point. When, when you got me crying, Kevin. It's so it's so absurd that a pop tart a pop tart died so that we could live. Oh my god! Oh, but, it's so but ridiculous. It, but, I love college football. Oh yeah, it's it, it was <laughs> it was absolutely amazing, and you you know it's funny you think about. I mean, obviously it's not free advertising; they paid to sponsor it. But the amount of advertising yeah. that that Pop Tarts got, and the amount of chatter mm-hmm. that Pop Tarts got from sponsoring that bowl was was just off off the charts. But you you look at the year before Lance Leipold arrived, which was mm-hmm. I get that it was a COVID season. It was weird. There were only nine games. Teams didn't have full rosters. In that season, Kansas had they went zero and nine, and they only had one game that was separated by one score. 
when they lost the Texas Tech in the season finale. So you're you're sitting here right now. We're talking about okay, you got to nine. Maybe they could have gotten to eleven or whatever. In that year, you're sitting there saying KU was at zero. Maybe they could have gotten to one. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a major difference in, in that feeling and, and everything else. But you know, it, as great as the Pop Tarts Bowl was, and you know, it was a, a a cultural touchstone moment for those of us in college in college football. Uh, I think uh, I think Kansas will likely have its sights set on an even bigger bowl game heading into to next year. And and I know mm-hmm. that you know potentially even with the expansion, the the college football playoffs. So that'll be uh, yeah. that'll be something to watch. And you know, I I just know if I'm the college football playoff, I try to get the Pop Tarts Bowl, one of those bowl games. <laughs> That would be elite viewing. Um, but yeah, Kevin, we can talk about all that. We got a long off season sure. ahead. Um, sure. Long off season ahead. So I think next week we'll talk about the portal, who KU's yep. lost. Obviously, you know, so far, right, as we were finishing yep. up recording at Spencer Lovell, Armage, Reed Adams, both going in the portal. Um, I don't think Armage is in yet. I can check real quick. Yeah, not yet. Um, the ex- expectation is that he'll go in today. Um, but yeah, next week we talk about portal, and then we can probably get into more off-season topics sure. um, soon after. But, Kevin, I've enjoyed doing these podcasts with you. Excited to keep yeah. things rolling, yeah, obviously, for folks that are watching the YouTube channel. Thanks, as always, for liking and subscribing to the channel. Make sure you're doing both those things, dropping comments. All of that stuff helps us reach more KU fans so we can continue to get this channel to grow. So maybe one day, one day, Kevin, we can get to as many <laughs> YouTube subscribers as Kobe Bryant. Um, for folks watching this on the – This is going to be a thing. This is going to be a oh, thing. Oh, it is. It is. The, the race to match Kobe, and we're never going to get there. <laughs> um, oh, maybe. Maybe one day. But uh, for folks listening on their podcast platform of choice, um, make sure you're leaving ratings, reviews. Um, again, those do go a long way in helping us reach more KU fans for – Kevin Flaherty, I'm Michael Swain. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Fog.net podcast. We'll be back next Sunday with another podcast.